Hello, this is Chris Wilhelm, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the May 2nd through 4th editions of the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Let's start with some news. Love Bugs Coming to an End, Brian Quinn, Leroy. When Our Lady of Mercy St. Bridget's Roman Catholic family learned last month that Love Bugs Preschool was projected to finish this school year $11,000 in debt, it began looking at whether it could reopen next year. Pastor Father Scott Brentwood said this year there were fewer students enrolled than the previous one and the fundraisers were less successful compared to last year. Love Bugs, a preschool offering classes to children ages 2 through 5, is located at Our Lady of Mercy and St. Bridget property, 44 Lake Street. We met with the parents to communicate the fact that there was a risk that the program would not continue in the fall and to ask them what they might be willing to do if the program continues next year to help with the financial situation, he told the Daily News. We took those responses to the parishioners themselves, asking for the input of the members of the parish. We gathered all the information possible, which we gave to all of the members of the parish council, the financial council, as well as the trustees. Brentwood said that after considering all the various elements, including the expense it will be unable to cover in the future and the need to initiate a hiring process to fill gaps in the staff, the members of the councils and parishioners indicated by an overwhelming majority to end the program after the end of the school year. I would not say that we have been looking to close Love Bugs at all. The fact that we have financially supported them for 11 years and been willing to cover the operational expenses at a great cost to the parish is a testament to our desire to offer this program to the smallest members of our Leroy community, especially given that the majority of the children are not members of our parish, the pastor said. Love Bugs is a program of the parish, not an independent entity, where the teachers are on the payroll of the parish. Love Bugs is staffed by four teachers. One of the teachers submitted an official letter of resignation in April and has indicated that she is pursuing a job in another field, Brentwood said. Two of the other teachers have said in casual conversation that they were hoping to continue for another year or two at Love Bugs before moving on to other possibilities. None have given me definitive plans, though one is retired and will most likely pursue other hobbies, he said. The pastor said there is a heartfelt appreciation for all the help the teachers have given the kids. We are truly thankful for all that they have done, he said. Brentwood said the previous pastor met with the staff of Love Bugs in 2021 and went over the financial reality with them, giving them a fundraising goal that they would have to reach for the parish to keep the program going. He was transferred in January 2022, and I maintained that goal, which they reached, being financially sufficient for the first and only time in the history of Love Bugs, he said. The parish has given more than $67,000 over the years to sustain Love Bugs, but that is not the biggest reason the program won't reopen in the fall. Except for last year, Love Bugs hasn't met its financial obligations, even with very various fundraisers already held this year. In order to cover those expenses, we must take from our other programs. Our projections for the next year were at a loss in excess of $14,000. We had considered raising tuition to match the other local schools, which are $55 for playgroups and $125 per child per year, more than us for comparable programs, the pastor said. That increase alone would not generate sufficient income to offset the requisite cost and also assumes that all of the parents will keep their tuition balance is current, which has not been and even currently is not the case. With increased costs, the current economic situation, and the fact that our contributions to the parish still have not risen to the level before COVID-19, we are financially unable to sustain the program. There were other issues which contributed to the decision to end love bugs, Brentwood said. Enrollment has consistently diminished in recent years. The program had 24 children this year. There were six in pre-K, 12 in nursery, three-year-olds, 
and six in playgroups, which met once a week for two- and three-year-olds. Given that we were the least expensive program offered in the village of Leroy, our costs naturally increased with a decreased income from tuition, etc., he said. One of the teachers indicated to us in March that she might not be returning, but that was not made official until April. To continue as we have offering all the current programs, we would have needed to go through the hiring process to find a new teacher who would be not only qualified to teach the material according to the requirements of the state of New York for a pre-K program, but also be able to teach the Catholic component, which until this point had not been done, but was desired by the parishioners. Brentwood said there was a dilemma of rushing the hiring process, of potentially telling parents that there will be a fall program without a teacher already hired, with the hope one could be found before the school opens. The location of Lovebugs was never an issue. It is on the parish campus in a building the parish owns, Brentwood said. The Lovebugs program has never given the parish any form of rent, nor has it been responsible for maintenance, insurance, administration, nor has it paid any of the utilities since it was established in 2012. The $67,000 that was paid over the years by the parish for the Love Bugs program does not include those expenses, which would have needed to be paid had the program been independent of the parish, he said. If the program were to move to another location, those expenses would need to be added to the current operational expenses. As the program has consistently not been able to meet its financial obligations, it would be difficult to imagine how it would be possible to sustain the program in another location. There are several community resources available to future parents, Brentwood said. Lovebugs is not the only program available. There is the UPK program and Sunshine Preschool here in Leroy, and there's also an excellent program in Batavia at St. Joseph's Preschool, as well as Gillum Grant Community Center, located nearby, which offers both three-year-old and four-year-old preschool. We are also blessed with a number of homeschool co-ops that are always looking to expand, he said. Brentwood said the parish has reached out locally to Sunshine Nursery School, 7 Clay Street, offering to assist Sunshine in any way it can to help with this transition. We are in communication with them about donating supplies to help offset their initial expenses as they absorb many of the children who are enrolling there from Lovebugs, he said. The pastor said the parish can use the space in a number of different ways. For example, the building is already shared with our choir for their practice before Mass, and there is space for our Catholic Faith Formation Program, church school that meets on Sundays and which next year will include a kindergarten level. Our faith formation teachers are all background cleared and approved volunteers who dedicate their time to teaching the faith to our children. One teacher's aide, Megan Cashin, said she was upset a little over a week ago after Brentwood called her about the closing of Lovebugs. It's sad because families won't get to enjoy the community that is Lovebugs. It's sad because their children won't get to share the love and foster the friendships that my children did. It's sad because Lovebugs is a magical place, she said. Nursery and preschool programs like Lovebugs are so impactful on a child's early social and educational development. Cashin said families were asked by the pastor to demonstrate a willingness to participate in more fundraising activities before a decision on the school was made. They offered to pay higher tuition, immediately organized a candy sale, and were actively planning a spaghetti dinner. Unfortunately, it was not enough, and sadly, Lovebugs was a burden the church could no longer afford, she said. Cashin said her love bugs journey began in 2013 when she enrolled her daughter in the nursery program. Over the next seven years, I watched all three of my children grow in the nurturing, loving environment created by dedicated teachers like Jill Panapento and Nancy Warner. In June 2020, I cried at my front door as Mrs. Panapento left a small graduation gown on my front porch for my youngest son. Though there would be no pre-K graduation ceremony that year, we still have a picture of him in his cap and gown 
like we did our other two, she recalled. In September 2021, as my children resumed full-time in-person classes at Walcott Street School, I joined the Lovebugs family once again as a teacher's aide for the playgroup and nursery programs. For the past two years, every day has been a new adventure as I get to listen to the kiddos' exciting stories about their day, watch them grow, and see the excitement in their eyes as they learn something new. At Lovebugs, children learn to socialize, cut with scissors, count, and write their names as they would at any early childhood program. What has always made Lovebugs special is the family-like environment cultivated by such wonderful and caring teachers. Every day we laugh and sometimes even cry with the kids as they learn to play with one another and work with such fervor on their craft projects, she said. Jill Panapento truly loves every child that comes through her classroom, and each year at their graduation ceremony she finds unique ways to recognize each student before they head off to kindergarten. It's this incredible environment they have created that has drawn families to Lovebugs, and they are the reason families families have been so dedicated to Lovebugs for over 10 years. The Lovebugs community is passionate, and while we are still kind of in shock, some folks are actively looking for options to continue the program elsewhere, but it's still early, Cashin said. I don't know what I will do next, but I would love to continue working with children and supporting our community. Health Department Outlines Healthy Neighborhoods Program, Brian Quinn, Batavia. The County Health Department has been making door-to-door home visits in the city and town of Batavia for its Healthy Neighborhoods program and hopes to make hundreds of such visits a year. A pair of health department staff make home visits to people. It's for renters and homeowners. It doesn't matter. Our target right now is the town and city of Batavia, Genesee County Health Department Environmental Health Specialist Karen Schmidt said. The Healthy Neighborhoods Program, which Schmidt presented Monday to the city council, is supported by a five-year grant from the State Department of Health. The county's grant goes through 2027. The goal is to make 200 visits and 50 repeat visits per year. The priority visits are to residents who have asthma. The department would revisit those residences a year later, she said. Other priorities are homes with children or that are in poor condition. We have some safety supplies that are available. We give them some of the supplies. We come back and see if they're using them a couple of months later, Schmidt said. Department staff have been going door to door in the city, leaving door hangers with information to contact them about a home visit. We started in wards three and four. We started switching to wards two and five for this grant year the environmental health specialist said. When we are in the home, we have a survey that's provided by the state health department. The sections of the survey include basic demographic information about the residents and asking whether anyone smokes or has asthma because the department has more information for those people. We check for fire safety in the home, so for working smoke detectors, windows and doors that are accessible in an emergency, that there's not a lot of clutter that would prevent you from being able to leave, she said. We check for lead hazards in homes that we built before 1978 because that is the year they banned and lead paint for consumer paint. For that, we would look for deteriorated paint because it's the dust or the paint chip that are a hazard. Schmidt said department staff would check for the home's air quality. If people smoke indoors there, the department would encourage them to smoke outside. They check for working carbon monoxide detectors and ask if the home has been tested for radon. The department will also look at the general condition of the home. Are there major roof leaks, plumbing leaks? Are the floors, the stairs, the railings in good condition, she said. We have a referral sheet that's to agencies or providers of services that might be applicable. We don't have the budget to do repairs ourselves, but we can try to refer them to community groups that might be able to help. 
The department has free supplies available, such as smoke detectors, fire extinguishers, carbon monoxide detectors, radon detectors, first aid kits, cleaning supplies, night lights, and outlet covers. Schmidt said the goals of the program include preventing lead poisoning. The final goal is preventing residential injuries and fire deaths. Health staff would also give out an information sheet. The department accepts referrals from the city code enforcement and fire department, as well as county office for the aging and department of social services, as well as for medical providers. Health staff would share information with code enforcement if there are major problems found in a home. Health is working with the fire department to install smoke detectors where needed. It is in touch with Office for the Aging if a resident is old enough to need handrails on his or her stairs. Information about healthy neighborhoods may be found at the department's website www.gohealthny.org under Lead Poisoning Prevention slash Healthy Neighborhoods Program. That webpage includes a link to a Healthy Neighborhoods referral form someone can fill out to set up a home visit. When someone fills out the form, Schmidt said, she will receive an email and the visit is set up from there. Participation in Healthy Neighborhoods is optional and the information a resident provides health staff is confidential. We're trying to go to more community events and stuff like that too, Schmidt said. A person calling about a visit could call either 585-344-2580, extension 5555, or 585-344-2580, extension 5519. A voicemail left at either number would be forwarded to Schmidt. Health Department Public Information Officer Caitlin Patine said staff will make home visits for any resident in the city or town of Batavia who requests one, regardless of whether it is in the current target area. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Public's help sought in robbery investigation. Batavia. City police are seeking the public's help as they investigate last week's robbery at the 7-Eleven on 505 East Main Street. The robbery occurred about 3.34 a.m. Tuesday when a man with a hammer entered the store. He was described as a black male about 5 feet 7 inches tall and having a slim to average build. The man was described as wearing dark-colored clothing with a maroon-colored flat-brim hat. He is believed to have left the area on foot. City police are trying to identify two possible witnesses, a male and a female, who were in the store before the robbery occurred. The female was walking a dog, possibly a tan or brown and white-colored pit bull. Anybody with information is asked to contact Detective Sergeant Matt Ludy at 585-345-6311 the Batavia Police Department at 585-345-6350 or the Batavia Police Department's confidential tip line at 585-345-6370. They may also click the tip button at the bottom of the robbery post on bataviapolice.org. Flags planned at Leroy Cemetery. Brian Quinn, Leroy. The McPella Cemetery Association has to figure out how many flags it will need, but volunteers will be at the cemetery on North Street to place them Memorial Day weekend. Leroy Town and Village Historian and Cemetery Association member Lynn Beluccio said volunteers will plant about 500 flags at McPella Cemetery at 9 a.m. on May 27th. They adorn veterans' grave sites until after the Oatka Festival, July 15th. Through 16th. We figure people are going to be in town. They may come to the cemetery and pay their last respects, Beluccio said, of visits to the cemetery during the festival. We pull them after that. We sort them into those that can be used again. Beluccio said the Cemetery Association gives the flags that can't be used again to the American Legion, who disposes of them when it has its flag burning ceremony.
I've got to sort through the flags that we saved from last year and see how many we can use this year, she said. The historian said the association needs to know where to place flags. We have maps. It'll tell you what section, because there are all different sections, and it'll tell you whereabouts, Belluccio said. The cemetery association has a listing of where veterans are buried in McPella. However, the recent burials unless the deceased veteran's family or funeral director tells the association where his or her gravesite is, the association won't know there's a veteran there. The number of flags grows each year, she said. Part of the challenge at McPella is to know which graves get a flag, Belluccio said. In some cases, somebody will call and say, again, my grandfather's grave did not have a flag on it. The cemetery association member will ask the person to tell where his or her relative is buried and whether the veteran served during a war. We just like to have that information so we can tack the information on in the future. There's a good handful of guys we can't find. It's like you walk right by the gravestones and miss it, she said. The price of flags keeps going up, Belluccio said. A group called Friends of McPella, Inc., which takes donations, will buy the flags. A couple of years ago, we formed the Friends of McPella so we could raise money to do projects in the cemetery, she said. Some flags may get broken or hit by a weed whacker. The ones that are dragging on the ground are removed, she said. I want to get that order in soon so that we have them, she said of the new flags. Each cemetery has to come up with the money to buy flags. It's different with every community. In Leroy St. Francis Cemetery, the American Legion Auxiliary puts in flags. They've been doing it for a long time. I know the American Legion in Leroy puts flags in the abandoned cemeteries. There's seven abandoned cemeteries in Leroy. Boy Scout Troop 6021 and Pac-23 will also help plant flags at McPella. The Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, they've been some of the volunteers that have helped us. We put them out in teams, people to do different sections of the cemetery, Belluccio said. We've got some people, they've done flags for us for several years. A couple of them are Barb Elliott, whose husband Frank is buried at McPella. She knows the veterans who are in the where her husband is buried, Belluccio said. Linda Keister, she has kept track of the veterans in the older part of the cemetery. As you face the gravestone, the flags go in on the left. We try to keep the flags lined up so that when people are mowing, they don't mow the flags down, she said. The Cemetery Association also encourages volunteers when they place a flag at a gravesite on May 27th to say the veteran's name out loud as a way of honoring that person. If people want to volunteer, they may call Belluccio on her cell at 585-737-6546. Those who volunteer should bring sunscreen, bug spray, and a bottle of water, she suggested. WROTB eyes hotel expansion. Brian Quinn, Batavia. The Hotel of Batavia Downs Gaming may expand, adding to the 84 rooms it currently has. The Western Regional Off-Track Betting Corporation isn't ready to commit money to a project without having a study done. A hotel expansion committee met in late April and will meet again next month on the possibility of spending up to $50,000 to $100,000 on a feasibility study to hire an architect to do a drawing. There was no resolution passed Thursday regarding a study. WROTB and Batavia Downs Gaming President and CEO Henry Wishtasek said the committee includes people with experience in construction and engineering. We're going to be careful in our analysis of it and spending any money, but in order to figure out whether or not expansion of the hotel is warranted, we're mostly going to have to have an architect give us some drawings and have a market study done as to the return on the investment we can expect if we do expand, he said. Those are the two things that we looked at yesterday. The board is proceeding cautiously, he said. 
That's the whole reason to look at the industry as a whole. Look at this establishment, the occupancy rate, he said. Those things were discussed, whether it's a good time and no decisions have been made. Wishtasek said, theoretically, the board would turn to the person who did the original hotel drawings and see if he or she is interested. WROTB might also look for other architecture or engineering firms to make sure there's some competition for the job and to get a good good proposal. Wishtasek said WROTB would look at expanding the hotel to the north. I think they would look at 50%, 42 rooms would probably be the initial proposal, but we did discuss it yesterday and decide not to sit on a number at this point, he said. The expansion makes sense to a certain extent that we've been extremely busy and that we've been sold out on a lot of nights for the year. It's whether we've hit that tipping point to necessitate additional rooms. The other thing WROTB is looking at with the hotel is the convenience when guests pull up and enter the hotel, Wojtasek said. We want to make sure we have a safe drive drop-off area and a convenient drop-off area for people, he said. Expansion will assist in that if we set it up the way typical hotels are set up. It's a difficult situation relative to the drop-off and entrance to our hotel. You can count on us addressing the drop-off and the entrance one way or the other, but the expansion is one way to look at it. WROTB's surcharge distribution for the first quarter of 2023 is 16% above what it was in the first quarter a year ago, Wishtasek said. It's the highest net win by more than half a million dollars for the corporate he said. It's really been a blockbuster first three months of the year for us. That's usually the slow season. We have experienced no slowdown, and now we're coming into the busy part with Triple Crown, the concerts, and many other events we have here. We're really looking forward to a great 2023. Wojtasek said there was a conference in Atlantic City, New Jersey about two weeks ago. While the industry is doing pretty well as a whole, the indications were that the brick-and-mortar part of the casinos isn't necessarily up, depending on where you are geographically, he said. We're clearly brick-and-mortar operation, and we're clearly having a banner year. During the meeting, board member Elliot Winter noted the 16% increase. He said there have been comments from customers on the floor on how good the food and service are at dinner. I think we have a really good team here, and I just wanted to comment and say I'm proud to be part of it, he said. WROTB Chief Financial Officer Jacqueline Leach said the corporation's first quarter 2023 surcharge and earnings amount of $2 $269,956 compared to $1,956,149 for the first quarter of last year. Of the $2,269,956, $2,116,946 is earnings and the remainder is the surcharge revenue. In the total distribution WROTB is sending out this week, Genesee County will get a total of $48,179. Livingston County, $50,114, Orleans County, $34,214, and Wyoming County, $33,142. Batavia man dies in motorcycle crash. Brighton. A Batavia man was killed when his motorcycle slammed into an SUV in Monroe County Monday night. Dustin Rich, 24, was operating his motorcycle west on East River Road in Brighton about 9.30 p.m. when he ran a red light and drove into an SUV that was leaving Interstate 390. Brighton police said in a news release. Rich was pronounced dead at the scene. Two adults and two children in the SUV suffered minor injuries. Rich was a member of New Breed Motorcycle Club and is survived by his parents, Nathaniel Rich and Stephanie Vanelli, fiance Marissa Grayson, and children Cypress and Lagertha. Calling hours are from noon to 2 p.m. May 13th at Newcomer Cremations and Funerals on Ridgeway Avenue in Rochester. Budget terminates WROTB directors, Brian Quinn. 
With the state budget for 2023-24 adopted Tuesday, the members of the Western Regional Off-Track Betting Corporation Board of Directors are being terminated and the board voting system will change. In the future, the board will still be made up of 17 members, one from each of 15 counties and one each from the cities of Buffalo and Rochester. Voting power will be different, though. The Buffalo News reports the board representative of Erie County will have 24 votes, Monroe County's representative 20, Buffalo's 10 and Rochester's 8. The representative of Niagara County also has 8 votes, Chautauqua 5, Oswego 4, Steuben, Wayne, Cattaraugus, and Cayuga 3, Livingston and Genesee 2, Wyoming, Orleans, Seneca, and Schuyler just 1. The commissioners will serve 4-year terms. Locally, Genesee County Legislature Chairwoman Rochelle Stein said the bill passed in the budget has yet to be reviewed by County Attorney James Wojcik. Once the details are known, we will comply with all aspects of it, she told the Daily News. We are concerned about the lack of local county input on the Board of Directors to maintain the level of importance of our ownership share, of course. Stein said the county didn't anticipate all the directors being removed. The director representing Genesee County was Richard E. Siebert. Board Vice Chair Edward F. Morgan represented Orleans County, Susan May, Wyoming County, and Thomas P. Womp, Livingston County. The negotiating of the state budget with policy inserted by three persons left us in the dark on this section of the bill, Stein said. The impact on the weighted voting demonstrates that the three state budget negotiators did not have confidence in Western New York regional off-track betting. The organization has been returning higher amounts to members counties. Now our county will have less voice in the future of WROTB and the growth path set forward. The county will learn more as more details emerge from the state budget, she said. We in Genesee County, as the host site, are hopeful that Batavia Downs continues to be a viable career path for many of our residents and full racing season is made available to our vibrant and robust racing community, she said. Democratic State Senator Tim Kennedy of Buffalo, who last year introduced several bills seeking to reform WROTB, told the Buffalo News, this is a big victory for the people of Western New York. We are rooting out corruption. We are removing a board that demonstrated a blatant disregard for the public good. We are looking to ensure there is a fresh voice with representation that is going to empower the people of Western New York region that OTB represents. Audits released in September 2021 by State Comptroller Thomas DiNapoli's office found that WROTB spent at least $121,000 without the oversight of the state requires. One audit said WROTB spent at least that much money on tickets to sporting events, concerts, food and alcohol for board members, employees, and other people without the oversight. A second audit found WROTB and Batavia Downs Gaming President Henry Wojtasek did not reimburse the organization for his personal use of an official vehicle in a timely manner. Siebert said there would still be 17 directors. As I understand it, the county legislatures would still appoint directors. The Democratic-controlled jurisdictions would have control of the weighted voting, he said, referring to Erie and Monroe counties and Buffalo and Rochester. When you look at it from Genesee County, OTB was started in 1974 under the pretense one county, one vote. Now that they're changing it with this legislation, it's all out the window, and it's all based on population. If the four municipalities decide they want to change management or hire people, the other counties combined would not be able to overcome that. They take our voting rights away from us with this current legislation. Siebert said the reason Albany wants to change this is political. They want control of the 14 management jobs that we have, plus the five officers that we have. 
We have 14 department heads that are non-union and five officers, he said. Since the Democrats can't change this formula for distribution of income, they want to control the 19 jobs that could be construed as political. Siebert mentioned the possibility of litigation, saying the WROTB board was established in 1974 under home rule. I don't know where they have the authority to change the way this was set up 49 years ago, he said. It's just taking control away from the board that's been in existence for 49 years. This casino and Batavia Downs are doing fabulous. They're making a lot of money for our counties. For 49 years, it's worked. The corruption people talk about regarding WROTB is not true, he said. That's all been addressed. It's all been corrected. The bottom line is that casino is breaking records, Siebert said. May, representing Wyoming County as a WROTB director, said she was disappointed in the way this process happened. I'm also disappointed that the counties were not allowed any input into this process. It's ridiculous in my book. I think we're way above what this guy, Kennedy, is claiming. All those things were taken care of a couple of years ago, she said, referring to the corruption Kennedy said he was concerned about. That's another thing that's been swept under the rug. Nobody has a copy of the bill, May said. In Wyoming County, May is on the Board of Supervisors. I do not receive any compensation from betting on the WROTB board and no health insurance either because I'm on a legislative body, she said. Last week, WROTB Chief Financial Officer Jacqueline Leach said WROTB's first quarter 2023 surcharge and earnings amounted to $2,269,956. Assemblyman Steve Hawley, Republican of Batavia, slammed the majority's budget proposal that included a limit on the voting power of rural and suburban communities in western New York. Since its inception, the 15 counties and the cities of Buffalo and Rochester have had equal votes on the board of directors of Western Regional Off-Track Betting Corporation. The budget bill, which passed the Assembly yesterday, diminishes the equal footing of all board members in the region by placing greater voting power on the counties home to cities compared to rural counties, he said. Hawley said he is frustrated that rural and suburban New York has once again had their power diminished. It's interesting how we in Western New York lament the influence of New York City on the rest of the state, yet are called conspiratorial for comparing this situation to Big Brother, Hawley said. Yet yesterday, that big brother philosophy made its way into our state budget, and the impact will be immediately felt as more populated areas may significantly overpower our rural suburban communities. It upends what was once a fair and equal process. State Senator George Borello, Republican of Sunset Bay, said with a budget process conducted behind closed doors, it is easy to slide in controversial items in the last minute to prevent opposition from having time to organize. We saw that happen with the addition of a provision to dismantle the existing board and governance structure of Western Regional OTB. This blatant power grab will undermine the voices of the rural counties who are part of the OTB board and put at risk the successful operation of Batavia Downs, the only profitable Western Regional Regional OTB location. Obituaries. Tuesday, May 2nd. Edmund J. Sobreski, Jr., 85, of Batavia. John J. Chip Graney, 76, of Leroy. Thursday, May 4th. Kyle R. Inman, 39, of Darien Center. William J. Zeitvogel, 86, of Byron. Now some upcoming events. Rescue Squad Serving Chicken Barbecue, Warsaw. A drive through chicken barbecue will be conducted May 11th by the Warsaw Rescue Squad. Meals will be served 4 p.m. to sold out at the Fireman's Building in the Village Park. Call 585-943-1318 to reserve a meal. 
Firefighters plan pancake breakfast. Pike. A pancake breakfast, Chinese auction, and 50-50 raffle will be conducted Sunday at the Pike Fire Hall. Cost is $9 for adults and $5 for kids. Proceeds will benefit the Pike Junior Firefighter Department. Richmond Library voting is Thursday. Batavia. Richmond Memorial Library's annual trustee election will be conducted Thursday in the library's gallery room. Voting will take place 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Any registered voter residing in the Batavia City School District is eligible to vote. This year's voting does not involve a budget, since no budget increase is requested, but residents will choose one trustee. Richard Beatty of Batavia is running unopposed for a three-year term. He would serve from July 2023 to June 2026. Perry Garden Club plans plant sale. The Perry Garden Club will conduct its annual plant and baked goods sale on May 13th. The event will take place 9 a.m. to noon at the Fireman's Building in the Village Park. Annuals, perennials, hanging baskets, and baked goods will be offered along with raffle items. Proceeds will benefit community gardens. Discussion to focus on poisonous plants. Batavia. The Batavia Area Herb Society will conduct a presentation titled Poisonous Plants on May 11th. The discussion will feature veteran gardener Emily Conable. It will take place 7 to 8.30 p.m. at the Richmond Memorial Library Gallery Room on 19 Ross Street. Church Group Plants Climate Summit, Rochester. The Rochester Area Interfaith Climate Action will conduct a climate summit on Sunday. The session will take place 12.30 to 4.30 p.m. at Temple Breath Kodesh at 2131 Elmwood Avenue. The group aims to inspire and equip the faith community to confront the challenges of climate change by providing specific and practical information on making houses of worship and congregants' homes more energy efficient. Workshops will include solar installation, composting for homes and houses of worship, congregational and household composting energy efficiency and weatherization, ministry in the era of climate change, green purchasing decisions, sustainable lawns and yards, youth climate action, climate justice and advocacy, energy audits and clean heating and cooling, electric vehicles and charging infrastructure, getting started on greening your congregation. The RAICA inspires and equips the faith community to confront the challenges of climate change and use them to build congregational communities through action, organizers said in a news release. Actions include policy and climate justice advocacy and practical steps to reduce the carbon footprint of houses of worship. Keynote speakers at the summit include faith leaders from the Muslim, Christian, and Jewish tradition. Summit attendees will also hear from policy advocates, coalition leaders, and environmental and renewable energy service providers. Attendance is free. Check https colon slash slash www.raica.net slash event hyphen details slash R-A-I-C-A hyphen annual hyphen summit hyphen 2023 to register. Retired teachers plan meeting and luncheon. Byron. The Genesee County Retired Educators will conduct a spring meeting and luncheon on May 17th. The luncheon will start at noon at the Byron Presbyterian Church. Speaker Ricky Palermo will bring members information about the Ricky Palermo Foundation for Spinal Cord Injury Research. A collection will be taken to benefit the foundation. For information or reservations, call 585-343-7346. If a member did not receive a newsletter, he or she may call 585-278-8558 to get one. Masonic Temple hosting breakfast, Warsaw. 
A breakfast buffet will be served Sunday at the Warsaw Masonic Temple. The breakfast will take place 8 to 11 a.m. at the location on 75 South Main Street. Cost is $10 for adults, $5 for children under 10. GoArt offers class in Ukrainian egg decorating. Batavia. GoArt is offering a two-session class in Ukrainian egg decorating, an art form also known as pisanki, with master pisanker artist Irene Grassman. The class is part of the Genesee Orleans Regional Arts Council's Explore Art program. The classes are scheduled from 9.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. May 6th and 13th at GoArt, Seymour Place on East Main Street. The classes are open to participants age 12 and older. Those who sign up should expect to attend both classes to complete the project. Participants will learn about traditional motifs, symbols, designs, and colors, many of which are used to wish good luck and prosperity to the receiver of the egg. The word pisanka is derived from the Ukrainian word pisati, which means to write, which is how artists describe the process of creating their intricate designs. Cost is $25 per person with all materials and tools provided. To register, contact GoArt at 585-343-9313, email info at goart.org, or sign up online at goart.org. Railroad Museum offers themed rides, Rush. The Rochester and Genesee Valley Railroad Museum, 282 Rush Scottsville Road, will offer visitors one-of-a-kind train rides aboard restored vintage trains through December. The rides began April 8th. Located at the Historic Industry Depot, RGVRM was established in 1971 to educate the public on the technology, history, and impact of the railroad industry in Rochester through the preservation, restoration, and operation of authentic railroad equipment. The museum welcomes thousands of guests every year to tour what museum officials call the largest collection of historic trains in New York State, explore indoor and outdoor exhibits, and enjoy a -a mile-and-a-half round-trip ride on a vintage diesel train that connects the two parts of the museum. The 2023 train ride schedule is May 13th, Mother's Day train rides, May 20th, Rails and Ales train rides, June 3rd, trains and trolleys at twilight, June 10th, June train rides, June 17th, Father's Day train rides, June 24th, June train rides, July 8th and 22nd, July train rides, July 8th, trains and trolleys at twilight, July 15th, Princess and Superhero train rides, August 5th, trains and trolleys at twilight, August 12th and 26th, August train rides, August 19th, classic car show and train rides, September 9th through 10th and 16th and 17th, real steam train rides, September 23rd, rails and ales train rides, October 14th and 15th and 21st and 22nd, pumpkin patch train rides, October 28th and 29th, Halloween pumpkin patch train rides. December 8th and 9th and 15th and 16th, Santa train rides. Train ride tickets may be purchased online at https colon slash slash rochestertrainrides.com slash events. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Bedavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Now Crime. Domestic abuser faces new charges, Scott to Smith, Batavia. 
A city man who was to be sentenced last week for domestic violence and for damaging a police car has been arrested on new charges. Aaron T. Hendershot, 26, is accused of violating an order of protection by calling, messaging, and writing letters to a woman with an order of protection against him. City police charged Hendershot with criminal contempt of court. Hendershot, however, was convicted of domestic violence-related charges on February 6th, and the new accusations led to a felony charge of aggravated family offense. He was arraigned in city court and committed to Genesee County Jail without bail. Hendershot was supposed to be sentenced last week on charges of second-degree criminal mischief, a Class D felony punishable by up to seven years, and misdemeanor counts of criminal mischief and obstruction of government administration. He was arrested in October after he damaged property during a domestic incident and ran from police. He was also charged with criminal contempt of court and criminal trespass. He later was charged with felony criminal mischief for damaging patrol car doors by kicking them. Two weeks later, he was charged with violating an order of protection again, and in January was charged with failing to appear in court to answer those charges, along with another charge of trespassing for refusing to leave a business. Rochester woman indicted on retail theft charges, Scott DeSmit, Batavia. A Rochester woman who has been charged throughout the region with retail and identity thefts has been indicted by a Genesee County grand jury on charges she stole from a store on Veterans Memorial Drive. Monet Ann Wiggins, 24, is charged with fourth-degree grand larceny, conspiracy, and second-degree criminal impersonation in an indictment filed in county court. Wiggins and two others were arrested January 6th after Genesee County Sheriff's deputies were called to Ultra Beauty Store for a report of a larceny in progress. Deputies arrived and saw three people walking to their car with bags full of stolen merchandise. Wiggins has been arrested in other counties for similar thefts. She was charged in, in September in Steuben County with grand larceny and identity theft for using stolen credit cards to steal property and in a separate case with petty larceny and two counts of criminal impersonation. Wiggins also has been wanted in Seneca County on several warrants. She was turned over to Seneca County deputies on January 6th, where she was charged with criminal impersonation and petty larceny and for failing to appear in court to answer those charges. The grand jury indicted five others, including two other people who have participated in bold thefts of merchandise from retail stores. Angela N. Bennett, 22, and Shamia I. Brown, 22, both of Rochester, are charged with grand larceny for stealing more than $1,700 worth of items from Dick's Sporting Goods in May 2022. Jacob A. Richards, 34, of Rochester, is charged with grand larceny in criminal possession of a forged instrument for stealing and forging a check. Ethan M. Conrad, 22, of Batavia, is charged with felony DWI. Lance M. Mercado, Sr., 32, of Vine Street, is charged with third-degree criminal possession of a weapon for possessing brass knuckles as a convicted felon. Openings available at Farmer's Market, Alden. The Alden Farmer's Market is seeking some new local farmers and specialty market vendors for its May 13th opening. A large produce farmer is especially needed, organizers said in a news release. The farmer's market will be open from 8.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Saturdays through September 30th. Live entertainment and Earl's Famous Hot Dogs will begin June 3rd. Vendors are required to have all proper permits and licensing for their products and a sales tax number where applicable. For more information and an application form, contact the Alden Chamber of Commerce at 716 937 6177 or email secretary at aldenny.org. A historical spring cleaning. Brian Quinn and Corey Chandra, Leroy. 
Armed with toothbrushes, a bucket of soap and water, and a pad, volunteers have been doing what they can to clean up historic markers in the village and town, such as the marker in front of the Leroy Historical Society. Three volunteers, Sam Zalaka, Cheryl Fernandez, and Sheila Fur began doing just that Friday, which was National Historic Marker Day. The day was established in 2021 by William G. Pomeroy Foundation as a community service celebration that brings people together to clean historical markers. The public and volunteers were encouraged to participate as the area welcomes spring. Proper maintenance is required for the markers to avoid deterioration from contaminants such as road salt, dust, and pollen. That is what the Historical Society will be doing today and maybe for the next few days as well, he said Friday morning. Here in and around the village of Leroy and the town, we have 26 national markers. A few of the maybe more well-known would be in front of the Presbyterian Church, where Frederick Douglass spoke. We have a marker in front of the Jello factory, which is on North Street, he continued. We have markers that show the trail of Underground Railroad that actually went through Leroy, just to mention a few. Penny Logal of the Java Historical Society in Java Village cleaned up around the society's sign and building with anticipation that rain might have dampened the designated cleanup day. New tulip bulbs came up this year and will create additional curb appeal for visitors. The Historical Society will also be installing a driveway at the Route 78 location to create more access for visitors. They plan to paint the building and finish setting up the outside display, which will house part of a blacksmith shop, dairy and farming implements, firemen's signs, and some tradesmen items. They also had masonry work done on the Schoolhouse Foundation's stonework and cleaned up from this year's storm. People look for our sign when coming, as well as others going by have stopped to visit us because of the sign, Logal said. Our membership is increasing and we are doing more. Thank you to the Pomeroy Foundation. This year's event welcomed more than 2,300 volunteers nationwide who helped clean up historic markers. We are proud to display our Java number one schoolhouse historic marker from Pomeroy Foundation, Logal said. The old schoolhouse was named to the State Register of Historic Places in 2001, and the sign serves a purpose. Our marker helps us promote all types of living, families, businesses, progress, military, and various other forms of Java history, Logal said. At present, we continue to hold monthly meetings to update members and advertise various displays, historic documents, and photos. We are always looking for pictures and information on farms, homesteads, businesses, and personal family histories and genealogies. Bonnie Conaber of the Leroy Historical Society said the Historical Society Museum and Jello Gallery opened last week. The hours are 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thursdays through Saturdays and from 1 to 4 p.m. Sundays. The Java Historical Society's monthly meetings are held at 2 p.m. the first Wednesday of each month. They are also open from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. the second and fourth Saturdays. They are also open by appointment. Contact Logal for more information at 716-200-7621. Volunteers were encouraged to share their marker cleaning photos on social media using the hashtag National Historic Marker Day. Participants had to comply with their local safety and parking regulations as well as seek permission when planning their marker cleaning projects. Habitat for Humanity dedicates Oak Street home. Brian Quinn, Batavia. If Terry Smith wants to put the letter A on his new garage, he'll have plenty of time to do so. He's a longtime University of Alabama Crimson Tide fan whose dad was born and raised in Alabama. And decorating your garage is just one of the nice things about being a homeowner. Smith and his family now have a new house at 50 Oak Street 
in which to get settled, thanks to the staff and volunteers with Genesee County Habitat for Humanity. Many of them were with Smith Saturday morning as Habitat dedicated the house. I know this means a lot to Terry. It means a lot to all the volunteers and everybody that's put time and effort into this home, specifically, said Ariel McVeigh, president of Genesee County Habitat for Humanity Board of Directors. This is our 26th build, so that's a huge accomplishment for us. We couldn't do it without any of you guys, the board as well, too, for your leadership to get us to our 26th home. Smith said he and his three children will live in the home. He has a 19-year-old daughter and two sons, ages 20 and 15. It feels great. I'm still shocked that it's here. It's been a while, four or five years, something like that, Smith said, of the time it took to get through the process and have a finished home. Smith said they'd been living on Pearl Street in Batavia. He said he helped with some of the building of this house. It turned out really good, he said. When I first started, it was like a hollow shell. You could see from the downstairs up to the upstairs. To see how it looks now, it's amazing to me, he continued. I just thank Habitat and everybody that had a hand in helping me get to this point. God, he helped me along the way. I know it was a trial to get to this point. I pushed through and kept going. Smith said he and his family would probably start moving in this week. Genesee County Habitat for Humanity Executive Director Jaylene Smith-Kilner said Habitat's mission is to take God's love and put it into action. We do that by bringing people together to build homes, community, and hope, she said. Turning to Smith, she said, Terry, I want to thank you. You're an inspiration. All our homeowners are an inspiration. The world can be really dark at times. You provide that hope. You had some challenges going through this process. We moved at a glacier movement sometimes, but we're here, standing in your home today. I'm super proud of you. Congratulations on that to you and your children. Marianne Newmark of the USDA Rural Development Loan Processing Center in Syracuse said the partnership between rural development and habitat has been great. It's been a great relationship over so many houses. I can't even remember how many we've done, she said. Our vision really is for not only creating housing for folks, but sustainable housing that they can own. The sustainable part is really the USDA Rural Development's passion, Newmark said. You can put people in a house, and if they don't have the tools to move forward and sustain that housing on their own, then it's really not helping anyone. All the way up and down, the companies, the individual, the homeowners, that sustainable part is the key. USDA's involvement in the process includes the mortgages it provides. USDA also requires a homebuyer education piece, so homebuyers understand their mortgage, what goes into their payment, and how to save for the future. We do low interest rate loans to really help people be able to have an affordable housing payment. We do that all the time, and we love partnering with Habitat for that, Newmark said. Habitat makes these houses and makes them beautiful and really renovates them to the point where these homeowners don't have to worry about, oh no, I just bought this house and I have to do so much work on top of my mortgage payment. Habitat staff and volunteers take a lot of that stress away at the beginning and also give them those tools, which I love. A Taste of Spring, Margaret Lee, Warsaw. The United Church of Warsaw celebrated its 110th annual May breakfast, welcoming in smiling faces with warmth and laughter on Monday morning. It's a good tradition, said Linda Thomas of Orangeville, a mission committee member who volunteers at the breakfast at the church on 22 South Main Street. Thomas has been part of the church for over 20 years and enjoys helping at the breakfast, saying that there's always good food and good company. The United Church of Warsaw may not know the exact origins of the breakfast after all this time, but Pastor Katrina Macaluso said 
said that although it began as a fundraiser, it has become so much more. We do it because we like to see our people working together to do something, she said. We see our friends and our neighbors who come through for the breakfast or the strawberry social or the rummage sale, whatever it is, and at the end of the day, for us, it's not about fundraising for the church so much as it is about coming together. It's important that we keep doing these things for those reasons. It's good for us to work together to do something, and it's good to see our friends, our neighbors in this building. Macaluso joined the United Church of Warsaw in 2020, and although the May breakfast was on pause, she was excited to get involved in what she said was a delightful congregation and community. I love watching my parishioners come together and make it happen, and we love seeing the smiling faces of the people eating the food and enjoying it and being in our building and having a nice time, Macaluso said. When it comes to the significance of the breakfast for the community, Macaluso said that as a clergy person, there is a larger conversation regarding traditions and habits that churches have. There is a lot of religiosities in this country right now, and so a lot of my job is about trying to break some of these, for lack of a better word, habits that we have around who we are as churches and what we do, she said. But then you have these things that carry through, in this case, over a century. It's a part of our history and who we are. And so for me, as the clergy person, it's about holding in balance those things and rituals that we do that are common thread throughout our history versus what we're trying that's new. So this is one of those threads that ties us back to who these people have been as a church since before even all of this. Many community members spoke to the community environment and focus in Warsaw, noting how supportive people are to come out for events such as the May Breakfast. Longtime community member Gary Pfeiffer, 88, was born and raised in Warsaw and has been coming to the annual breakfast for more years than he can remember. He said that he enjoys supporting locally when he can, and as many of the people they see at the breakfast, he'll see at other events in town as well. Macaluso and many joked that there was nobody 120 years old to speak to the beginning of the event, but Ellen Chandler has participated in the May breakfast for over 30 years. Chandler has been a member of the United Church of Warsaw since 1974 and has volunteered her time at the May breakfast since the 1990s. From 2000 to 2010, she was even chair of the committee organizing the breakfast. Chandler currently resides in Arcade and continues to attend the United Church of Warsaw, having grown up in Warsaw for most of her life. She keeps coming back year after year because she said she enjoys working with her fellow church people and seeing the community. The May breakfast went from 6.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. and offered scrambled eggs, pancakes, sausage, toast, juice, milk, and coffee. New season arrives. Mumford. Visitors will once again be able to step into the rich history of the Genesee Valley region when Genesee Country Village and Museum, 1410 Flint Hill Road, opens for its new season on Saturday. The season will feature new exhibits, experiences, and events for the whole family. Genesee Country Village is the largest living history museum in New York and the third largest in the United States. The museum property encompasses more than 600 acres with its historic village featuring 68 buildings, many from the Glow region, and a nature center. The museum's John L. Whaley Gallery features an extensive collection of sporting art and historic clothing. The gallery will debut a new multimedia exhibition this weekend that explores how 19th century Americans performed and navigated a changing landscape of gender fashion. The thought-provoking exhibition, Becoming Gendered, Garment as Gender Artifact, pulls at the thread of how dress provides the world with visual clues to interpret identity. Historic fashion is complemented by historic imagery in the form of daguerreotypes, ambrotypes, tintypes, cabinet cards, carte de vis, and early 20th century photography. The exhibit begs the question, do we make the clothing or does the clothing make us? 
Curatorial talks and guest speakers throughout the 2023 season will further enrich the exhibit. The exhibit will run for the 2023-24 seasons in the Whaley Gallery. The exhibit was made possible with support from Trillium Health. The museum also features more than five miles of trails and nature habitats at its adjacent nature center. Visitors of all ages will find something of interest all year long. Farm animals frolicking in the spring, heirloom gardens bursting into bloom in the summer, fall leaf peeping and harvest, and winter ready-making. Costumed interpreters bring the 19th century historic village to life, tending to farm animals, maintaining gardens, cooking over hearths and historic kitchens, and sharing their knowledge of 19th century life with visitors. On opening day, guests will find demonstrations of historic trades, such as blacksmithing and coopering in the historic village, heritage breed farm animals grazing in the pioneer settlement, potters creating historically accurate one-of-a-kind pieces that can be purchased in the Flint Hill store, and the aroma of flowers and fruit trees blossoming in heirloom gardens or orchards. Other upcoming events include Mother's Day brunch of May 14th with multiple seatings. All moms receive free admission to Genesee Country Village. The Genesee Country Village is rolling out a full season of special events, including some returning favorites and some new experiences in 2023. Collectors of vintage wares can browse and purchase antiques plus handcrafted local goods with connections to 19th century trades at the Antiques and Artisans Show May 13th, preview party on May 12th. Visitors will explore the effects of America's greatest conflict on the Genesee Valley region during Civil War Living History Weekend, May 20th and 21st. Craft beer lovers can savor tastings and pints at History on Tap, June 2nd. The sounds of bagpipes will fill the air at the annual Celtic Fair, June 10th and 11th. The museum will bring to life celebrations of emancipation at honoring Juneteenth, June 17th. Families will gather to celebrate the nation's birth at Independence Day celebration, July 4th. To explore the season's full schedule of events, visit the GCVNM website at https colon slash slash www.gcv.org slash events. Genesee Country Village is open 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Wednesdays through Sundays from May 6th through September 3rd. The museum season continues with reduced days of operation in September and October. Discounted tickets are available online at https colon slash slash www.gcv.org slash event slash opening hyphen day hyphen of hyphen the hyphen 2023 hyphen season. Tickets are also available at the door. Museum admission for adults is $18 online, $19.50 at the door. Seniors age 62 and older, $15 online, $16.50 at the door. Students 13 to 18 and veterans $15 online, $16.50 at the door. Youth 3 to 12, $12 online, $13.50 at the door and free for active military and children younger than 3 years old. The Museums for All program offers $3 admission for EBT cardholders and families. Special event pricing may vary. For details, visit the museum website, www.gcv.org, or email info at gcv.org. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the May 2nd through 4th editions of the Batavia Daily News. Your reader has been Chris. Thank you for listening.